Welcome to the Sunday Service Podcast of First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. We are a radically welcoming and progressive religious community, deeply committed to love, justice, and living out our values in the world. To learn more, visit us at firstuniversalistchurch.org. Good morning, everybody. I have a song to teach you. It's about tables. A lot of songs today are going to be about tables. It goes like this. The chorus goes, Love will delight When we are creators of justice and joy. Could you sing that with me? Love will delight when we are creators of justice and joy. The second part is very similar. It goes, yes, love will delight when we are creators of justice. Yes, love will delight when we are creators of justice, justice and joy. Would you rise and sing that whole chorus with me? There are verses to this song as well. It's not, it's not just choruses. It goes like this. For everyone born a place at the table. And for everyone born a place at the table. For everyone born clean water and bread. For everyone born clean water and bread. Here are both of those phrases. Here we go. For everyone born a place at the table, for everyone born clean water and bread, a shelter, a space, a safe place for growing, a shelter, a space, a safe place for growing, for everyone born a star Here we go. to belong and 
Good morning. So about 10 years ago, when I was in graduate school, I took on a project that required me to travel to France. And after I was done with the main point, I took some time to travel to the south of France along the Mediterranean. And after one of my first full winters in Minnesota coming from Texas, the warm sea breeze the markets of fresh fruit, spices, flowers, seafood, was an overwhelming, beautiful, soul-restoring, nourishing kind of experience. And walking along the shore, there's lots of eateries in Nice, France, and all of these eateries had sandwich board signs out front that seemed to say, come on in and eat our paella. What's paella? <laughs> I didn't know what paella was, but the sign in French was really convincing that I should try paella. So I learned that paella is a rice dish cooked throughout the Mediterranean, and it's originally from Spain, and named for the large frying pan. If you've been to a cooking store, you might have seen one of these pans. They come in lots of sizes. It's named for the pan, the paella, and it has rice and protein from the land, from the sea, and vegetables, spices like saffron, turmeric, and it's cooked uh, to marry the flavors together and trying to get that crusty rice bottom on the pan without scorching or burning it is the masterful art of making paella. You want that crunchiness. Say no more, I'm sold. Paella for one, please. Oh, we're sorry. You must have at least two people to eat paella. Oh, no worries, no worries. I'll take the rest with me. I'll heat it up tomorrow in the hostel for lunch. Not a problem. Paella for one, please. No, no, no. You see, mademoiselle, we don't serve paella to just one person. I was crushed. I was a solo traveler, and paella was for groups of two or more. Now, because this story was over a decade ago, I don't remember exactly how hard I worked to problem solve around the no paella for one rule. I don't recall that I tried several eateries or tried to find companions to join me, and I don't recall that I pushed harder to be served those would have been persistent and self-advocating ideas. But what I do recall is that I took the first answer that I got, and I heard that I was a solo traveler, and I wasn't coming in the proper way, and that I would leave that trip still curious about paella. For the Spanish in the Mediterranean, paella is a dish that is a cultural symbol of large gatherings of families and friends sharing uh, and building community 
with one another. So how is it that this community symbol was inaccessible to an individual? What a highlighted cautionary tale for any community, especially ours, a very paella-like community. Church, with you, I have been persistent. I have been more persistent in joining than I was in France with paella. I joined on my own, not as a family, not because I had a friend coming to this church, not because I wanted a child to be in religious education. I joined as a solo traveler. As a church, we are capable of being in the beautiful way of paella, and we are also vulnerable to the same limits of paella. We are a mix of ingredients identifiable as our own self and in the pan together, working to be in relationship so that we have harmonious flavor profiles that bring out the best qualities so that we may be able to be seen and appreciated collectively. Not a Sunday passes where we aren't talking about community, but we are welcoming but are we welcoming to the individual at our communal table? And after how long of coming to our church do you know that this table belongs to you? And for folks who have been coming to this church for a long time, how long until we are accepting of new joiners bringing their food and their offerings to our table? In my five years as a community member, I have coordinated groups in service, attended circles, served on committees, and I'm now serving you as a worship associate. I said yes in response to invitations to deepen spiritual practice with you and in service, and at other times, I've received painful questioning. It's been a mixed bag. Who are you? And I don't know who you are, so why are you leading this group? Or, oh, when I read your emails, I thought you were in your 60s like me. <laughs> From each of these moments emerged this spiritual practice of scooching, the making room. And I am grateful to the folks who showed up to the practice with me. Each time, we got to a better place. There are so many ways that we are getting it right. We are in alignment with our values and our intentions. But I think our integrity is actually demonstrated in our willingness to hear the harder truths of when we are in misalignment and respond with vested interest in trying a new way. It's probably true that if I had been served paella for one, I would have had an abbreviated paella experience. Paella, no doubt, is best shared with others. So, can we keep our community practices robust and also say, welcome solo travelers, welcome newcomers, welcome visitors, guests to First Universalist Church. Your presence here is a gift to the gathering at our table. We are so glad you're here. Welcome longtime members, welcome new members, welcome medium time members. Your return blesses this community and our wisdom together. Each life gathered here gives strength to our common journey and our paella pan. And the lives we take throughout our days together, we celebrate you, we love you, we welcome each and every one of you. It matters to our community that you are here exactly how you are. I'm Catherine Harrell, I'm your worship associate, and I'm joined in leading worship today with Reverend Jen Crow and Reverend Ashley Harness, and Pablo Debuque is on piano and leading us in music today, and we have John and Rob who are helping with our media and live stream connection. We have ushers and greeters and artists. Many people have prepared this space with grace and good care, prepared these words and these songs to keep and change you, to wake you up, and help you rest. Whatever it is you come seeking today, may you find it here. Let's pause to notice how life, breath, how life is breathing through us now. And I invite you to say hello to the body that arrived and hello to the spirit that's always within. And begin to let the body show you the way 
of how to loosen and how to soften into our space together. And as your body begins to settle, carefully choose a word of something your spirit hopes to find in our time together. Let this hope breathe in you slowly and deeply. In our practice of three meaningful breaths, we collectively organize our unit to come together. Peace and inspiration await us now. And in the familiar places and in the places we never thought to look. May that ever be so. I invite Harriet to kindle the chalice flame. This tradition connects us with Unitarian Universalists everywhere through all time. And I invite together are the words of the lighting of our chalice. Love is the spirit of this church, and service is its law. With open hands and open heart, may we give receive and grow the blessing of beloved community now and always. Got another song to teach you folks. This one's called, We All Do Better. We all do better when we all do better, after the words of um, the great Paul Wellstone. And it goes like this. We all do better when we all do better. We all do better when we all do better. That means everyone. That means everyone. All genders and colors just love one another. All genders and colors just love one another. We'll have so much fun. We'll have so much fun. Let's rise, everybody. I'm going to give it a nice up-tempo. And if you feel a snap or a clap or a woohoo or something like that is appropriate, this is, this is your space for that.
All right. Speaking of having fun, we're going to play a little game. And I'm going to need some children and youth support for this as volunteers. But I want you to know before we start, if you volunteer for this, there's lots of room for lots of volunteers. Um, you're going to be getting very close to each other, so physically. So if you, that doesn't feel good, this is probably not the right game. But there are other things you can do. So first up, I need five kids or youth to come have a seat up here on this pew if you are game. And come on up if you're feeling it. All right, all right. All right, one, two, three, four, five. All right. Nice job. You can stay right here. All right, let's add three more. Oh, I see. Maybe can you? Maybe there's room right there. All right. How many people we got now? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. We started with five, and it looked pretty full, right? Now we've got nine. I think we can fit some more. Do you guys think we can fit any more people up here? Okay, we got a, we got yeses. So um, if I could have a couple more kids, we could try and figure out how do we put some more people on this pew. Anybody else? Like that. Oh, my gosh. Look at that. They're sitting on it differently. Uh, let's see. I think we have actually plenty of room. Anybody else want to join? Oh, okay, you're right. There are, there are youth on the way from the balcony. I'm, they are on the move, and I believe they might have a way. So there's more room down here. So what, tell me, what have you all done already to make more space? Scooching in, scooching over, and now scooching up, which I honestly didn't even know was an option. So scooching in, over, and up. All right. What do you think? Can we fit a few more people on this bench, on this pew? All right. Whoa. All right. All right. What are we up to now? Oh, we've got one more kid. How are we going to do it? You got it. Wait, Harriet's got an idea. Sitting on Simon. Another fine. Oh, whoa. Careful, Harriet. <laughs> All right. Amazing. All right. How many people do we have here? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Whoa. 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17. Thank you. All right. You all can head back. Thank you for setting our new record. That was amazing. So this is a game that is belovedly called Scoochie Butt, uh, which is a game about how many people can you actually fit, right? So we started off with five, and that pew looked pretty full. And then we ended up with 17. And I think maybe some more ideas of how we could even fit more, if we were willing. Amazing. So a friend of mine serves a congregation, and she says that every year, once a year, they play this game as a whole congregation, scoochy butt, and she gets really excited about it because it happens on Christmas Eve, and their sanctuary seats, according to the fire code, 225 people, and yet they get 350 people at the service every time. And so they scooch and scooch and scooch to make room inside that building for everybody to attend. And I'm thinking about the ways that we scooch here, too, to make ourselves available to folks who can't even come into the building or it's not the right thing. They're coming in online right now. So that's a big way to scooch and make some space for each other, right? I think it's kind of magic. We think there's only enough room for so many folks, but turns out we actually have resources and room for so many more than we ever imagined. So, welcome to the new game of Scoochie Butt. I don't know how you top that. Can we just go home now? Are we done? Did we get the message? 
scoochy butt. I'm sure there's a lot of theology there. But in, in Jen just went, mm-hmm, from behind me. <laughs> but in all seriousness, let's make a little spaciousness in our own beings now. Somebody's mama, awesome. Breathe, making more space in your belly than you knew was there before. Let us arrive more fully in this space or whatever space you're joining us from. Let your full self, let your spirit settle in your being now, in this space. And let us hold each other's hearts in good company. Let us pray together all that needs to be held in community because it is just a bit too painful to be held alone because joy would be a bit bigger if we shared it. May we speak aloud now or write into the chat or hold gently in our own beings all that needs to be held. Our hearts are holding our beloved trans and non-binary kids in the Minneapolis public schools this week as the school board has time for public comment on the need for policy to make our schools universally more safe for every body. We hold each and every one of those courageous voices, including those from our own community, in love, in glittery, fabulous tenderness. And we bring our own bodies into those rooms and into that room on Tuesday at 5.30 to bear witness to the sacredness of our trans and non-binary beloveds. We continue to pray in the words of Jewish Puerto Rican poet Aurora Levens Morales for all in Israel and Palestine. She writes, we cannot cross the Red Sea until we carry each other. All of us refugees, all of us prophets, no more taking turns on history's wheel trying to collect old debts no one can pay. The sea will not open that way. This time that country is what we promise each other. Our rage pressed cheek to cheek until tears flood the space between, until there are no enemies left, because this time no one will be left to drown and all of us must be chosen. It's time for all of us or none. Together we pray that the grip of addiction might be loosened, that the weight of oppression might be lightened, that grief might be shared, that joy might break through, and that love might make every suffering bearable for all of us. Let us sing now. Spirit of love. 
Each week, we practice giving and receiving. Each week, we practice sharing all that we have that we may make enough for all of us. Our partner, Augsburg Fairview High School, is seeking donations, new gloves, in particular the kind that work for texting, leggings, warm socks, as well as new or gently used t-shirts and hoodies, bringing them to the social hall today or next Sunday. This is a public charter high school serving students in the Phillips neighborhood, many of whom are experiencing housing and food insecurity. This is also the season when our partners at Joyce Uptown Food Shelf need extra food to give away. Think Thanksgiving non-perishable items. Bring them to our shelves in the lobby anytime. Our cash offering this morning supports our partners at the Center for Leadership and Neighborhood Engagement, who offer transformative learning experiences to congregations locally to strengthen and inspire leaders, guide faith communities towards reinvestment in BIPOC communities, and amplify voices of people of color. And finally, hang in there, you can do it. We invite you into a bonus offering this morning, this week, for Give to the Max Day here in Minnesota. Our board at First You will match dollar for dollar the first $2,000 we raise as the rest of the congregation to meet our 5K goal this year. As we like to say, we don't charge for church, but it's not free. Each Sunday morning costs approximately $20 per adult in worship and $40 per child in religious education. Your gift makes this experience possible for all of us. You can find us on the Give to the Max website or check your email if you get emails from us. You have an invitation there as well. Other times our job is to receive and if this is a day when you need to receive the support financially of this church, you may find me or any of the ministers after worship or send us an email and we will make funds available. Let us receive our morning offering now. friends all gathered round something I would say what brings us together here has blessed us all today love has made a circle that holds us all inside strangers are as family Loneliness can't hide You must give yourself to love Love is what you're after Open up your heart to the tears and laughter And give yourself to love Give yourself to love these mountains in the rain learn to love the wind been up before the sunrise to watch the day begin I always knew I'd find you though I never did know how like sunshine on a cloudy day Stand before me now So give yourself to love 
love is what you're after. Open up your hearts to the tears and laughter and give yourself to love. Give yourself to love. With deep gratitude for all the ways we care for each other, our morning offering has been received. Our reading today comes from Joy Harjo. Joy Harjo is an American poet, musician, playwright, and author. She served as the 23rd United States Poet Laureate and the first Native American to hold that honor. Joy Harjo is a member of the Muscogee Nation, and we'll hear her in her own voice. Or maybe in my voice, we'll see. <laughs> Hers is better, but I'm ready. <laughs> this poem is perhaps the world ends here, or the kitchen table poem. The world begins at a kitchen table. No matter what, we must eat to live. The gifts of earth are brought and prepared, set on the table. So it has been since creation and it will go on. We chase chickens or dogs away from it. Babies teeth at the corners, they scrape their knees under it. It is here that children are given instructions on what it means to be human. We make men at it, we make women. At this table we gossip, recall enemies and the ghosts of lovers. Our dreams drink coffee with us as they put their arms around our children. They laugh with us at our poor falling down selves and as we put ourselves back together once again at the kitchen table. This table has been a house in the rain, an umbrella in the sun. Wars have begun and ended at this table. It is a place to hide in the shadow of terror, a place to celebrate the terrible victory. We have given birth on this table and have prepared our parents for burial here. At this table, we sing with joy, with sorrow. We pray of suffering and remorse. We give thanks. Perhaps the world will end at the kitchen table while we are laughing and crying, eating of the last sweet bite. Is there a theology in scooching? 
in the kitchen table. So much. For me, these are the spaces, the table, the pew, the lunchroom, the family, the church, the community, where we're actually putting our theology into practice. And for me, and I'm guessing for most of us, this is when it gets really serious, right? It's one thing to say, as we do pretty much every Sunday, each and every one of us is born whole, holy, and worthy, held by a love that will not let us go. It is a whole other thing to act that way with each other. And it's a whole other other thing to act that way with each other in times of conflict. So this is what we're talking about today. And one of the things I've been thinking about a lot as we come up to this topic is some words that a spiritual guide mentor uh, shared with me a while back. Every time I would be approaching a conversation or a visit with family that I knew might be a little bit challenging or a lot bit challenging for whatever reason, she would say to me, time to go get your spiritual black belt. And I would think about it, and I was like, I think I know what you mean. This is different than being spiritual on my own in meditation and prayer and writing, all of which is challenging enough for me. It's another thing to bring those spiritual values and into interaction with others. It's a whole other thing to bring it into interaction with people that I'm in conflict with or who I feel like are questioning my worth and dignity whole other game. Spiritual black belt. I love that. So today, fair warning, I'm, we're going to talk about what this table image means and what this table metaphor can mean for us and what are some of the practices we can engage in as we build beloved community, as we bring our spirituality outside of just ourselves to each other and to our larger community. So that's where we're headed but we're gonna start somewhere maybe just a little bit lighter. So I brought this topic of scooch uh, to this preaching club that I'm a part of. We gather once a week and we bring our topics and I said, here's my topic for the week, scooch. And they all started laughing and then they all had opinions really, really quickly. The first controversy that erupted once I said the word scooch was the idea of the kids' table and the adult table at family gatherings. Is this, are you familiar with this experience? Sometimes at large gatherings, there's the separated kids' table and a separated adults' table, and uh, you know, each one does its own thing. Now, poll here, and there's no right or wrong answer, I promise. I'm not gonna shame you for picking one or the other. Are you a fan of the kids' table, adult table divide, or do you prefer the one long table? Because this is where our group uh, spread out a lot. Um, kids' table and adult table, like the divide. Some folks on that, all right. One long table, all right. Lots of people on that. Um, I'm a deep introvert. This whole topic is horrifying to me, and I would never attend this, okay? Um, or. Uh, the other very real experiences that I think we each have at some point or another where we know there's a big table or a kid's table and an adult table and we haven't been invited into any of them, right? All of those feelings. But back to kid's table, adult table. The first person out of the gate in my preaching group wanted to talk about how the kids' table and adult table should be abolished immediately and why this was a terrible idea. She said, it's just a way of saying that at one place, one table, there'll be a level of decorum and a way of being that everybody must adhere to, and at the other one, they're just not up to it yet. I hadn't thought about it that way. She said, everybody needs to be all at the same table at the same time. She's got, now she is a mom of twins, of, and she's like, people just need to accept that my kids are coming, they're part of the family, they're not gonna wanna eat everything, they're gonna be squirmy, they're probably not gonna sit there the whole time, and that's just how it is, we are a family. No more kids' table, she lobbied, right? Then we had another colleague jump in quickly and say, but I love the kids' table growing up. It's the only time I got to sit with my cousins, to feel comfortable, to be at ease, to know that we all were there for each other, and this kids' table time was sacred time and space. 
right? Both sides. Now, of course, being preachers, we were pulling the threads on each of these, right? Well, if we're all at one big table across generations with different needs and desires and wants, isn't that like Sunday morning here at church? This place where we gather with different needs and wants, different identities, different generations, and we're trying to find some way to connect with each other across all of that. And then that time when we separate, when our kids and youth, most of them head off for religious education classes, right? Isn't that an example of kids' table, adult table that kind of works, right? Because we want those sacred spaces where we are known and loved and things are the right size for us and the right way for us. Isn't that important too? Well, all right, then one of my other colleagues said, all right, I'm okay with the kids' table and the adult table. I really loved it, except that time when I started getting older and I knew I was ready for the adult table, but they didn't let me in. When they said, no, there's not enough room or you're still too young, and I was ready to make that move, and then it felt like punishment to be stuck at the kids' table. So who decides when it's time to move from which table to which? Who decides when our roles have changed? Who makes those decisions and how do we make room for each other? We started talking about all of this together, this imagery of the kids' table and the adult table, finding that space and time when it's right for us to shift roles in our communities and our families. How do we know when that's true? And then when we know that it's true, what if people won't make room? How do we deal with that? So much here. True in our individual lives, our collective relational lives, our church community lives. And then how do we do this when we're in conflict with each other? It's a lot. So this is where we come to that place where the rubber meets the road, right? Where we talk about building beloved community and we take it more into our lives. So we take the words as inspiration and then we put them into practice. This beloved community, this community ordered in love where everyone has a place and everyone has enough, where conflict can be resolved non-violently, where love and trust triumph over fear and hatred, where peace with justice is how we are together. This kind of beloved community well, creating this, as we know, is a whole lot of work, but it is possible. The Reverend Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. said that in order to build beloved community, it's going to require a qualitative change in our soul and then a quantitative change in our lives. So that internal heart work, soul work, maybe individual spiritual practice work, and then a quantitative change in our lives. How are we living? How are we sharing? How are we making space? How are we being in conversation and even conflict with each other? What quantitative changes are we going to need to make? I appreciate this so much because that idea pairs in my mind with author and activist Grace Lee Boggs who said that community building is to the collective what individual spiritual or what spiritual practice is to the individual. Let me say it again. Community building is to the collective what spiritual practice is to the individual, right? So we need both of those, individual spiritual practice, collective practice to build beloved community. So I am a very practical person and I'm gonna give us three ideas of practices we can engage in individually and collectively if we are going to navigate being and building beloved community together, especially in times of conflict. So here are the three practices. I'm gonna give you the shorthand first and then I'll tell you about them. First one is scooch, no big surprise, right? Scooch, then there's FHB, teaser. And then there's take space, make space, all right? So scooch. We got to see the game, right, and see how we could scooch over and make more room than we ever thought possible. 
But I want to tell you about a practice that a friend of mine experienced when she was traveling recently. So she was traveling solo in a large group of folks, some of whom came as groups or in couples, and some of whom came solo on their own. And every night at dinner, there was a solo traveler's table where you could go to if you were traveling on your own or if you wanted to meet other people. And my friend, who had traveled alone, said she was so relieved to see that. And when she made it into that kind of shared dining area, she's balancing her plate of food in one hand and her drink in the other, and she's like, where am I going to sit? Where am I going to sit? Something we all know, right? She sees the solo traveler's table. She goes over, sits down, and they have a practice at that table of welcoming everybody who comes in and then starting the conversation with a question about your life that is the same one for everybody, and you can go playful or you can go deep with it. But night after night, she said, the number of people at that table grew and grew and grew, and it became like the loudest, most laughter, raucous space on the whole dining room, right? And she told me that she noticed something in herself that she wasn't totally proud of as she was participating in this that after the first couple of days, right, where she had gone to that traveler's table and she had made a couple of friends and she'd thought, these are my people, right? I'm gonna lock in and hang out with these folks. Then the next night, when somebody else wanted to join the table, she didn't really want to let them in. She was pretty happy with the people she'd found and she wanted to just stick together, right? But the custom of that group was so strong that you always made room that she did. And then she was grateful that she had. But she said, on her own, I don't know that I would have been able to do it. It had to be the custom, the practice of the whole group. So I wonder about that for us. Here and in other places in our lives, what if the custom and the practice was so strong that we were scooching over and welcoming in and making room, that it was just the expectation of how we were going to be together? We didn't even have to think about it. We just scooched over. So scooch, that's one option. Now, FHB, does anybody know what this is? Okay, we got one, two. All right, thank you, because first service, nobody had ever heard of this, which I'm learning is maybe because we're here in Minnesota. So FHB stands for Family Hold Back. Now, this is a, something that might get whispered across the family if you have unexpected guests join you for dinner, right? You might whisper to each other, family hold back, which means family hold off on taking big portions of food and make sure that everybody who's here gets fed first, and then you can take more if you want. So it's a real practical on the ground practice, right? And as I was realizing after the first service, I was like, Catherine helped me out. She's like, well, we don't have unexpected dinner guests in Minnesota. <laughs> it's not a, that doesn't happen here. So of course we don't have a practice for how to handle it because it's not done. And I was like, okay, okay, thank you. That's very helpful. But <laughs> I wonder about this practice of family hold back. It's great at meals and when uh, you know unexpected people join, but I'm also wondering about this in community and in conflict. So I'm thinking about it especially if uh, whoever feels like they are the family, the people at the core of belonging in a group, if they might, in times when visitors come, hold back a little bit to make space, and in times of conflict, if this FHB or family hold back might be something we can use if we are those folks who are used to saying what we need and our ways are pretty much the ways that are done and that things are done according to our plans, what if we who consider ourselves family or core hold back and listen first and make room first? What about that? So scooch, family hold back, couple of practices, and then there's this take space, make space. Now, the short version of this you might hear in some of our small groups at church, right? And it can mean all kinds of things, but it, in particular, it can mean if you're somebody who talks more as just your way of being, maybe hold back and make space for others, right? And if you're someone who tends to be more shy or reticent, 
go ahead and take the space. Go ahead and say what you want to say because we want to hear you. And so there's this back and forth of taking space and making space. Now, it can also mean pay attention to your social location, to your privilege, or your feeling of being on the margins and the experience of being on the margins in this group. Pay attention to that. And if you are someone with privilege in that space to back up and make space, if you are someone whose voice isn't typically heard, it's the group saying, we really want to hear your voice. Take the space. Now, it has to actually be safe for that to work, right? You can't just say it. You have to practice it. Otherwise, that dissonance between what you say and what you do is often more painful than anything else, right? And I think we as Unitarian Universalists always have an eye out, or at least I have, for hypocrisy in religion, right? <laughs> like, where is what you're saying and what you're doing not the same? So this take space, make space piece, I want to say just a little bit more here. So Catherine reminded me of Shirley Chisholm's great uh, quote of, if they don't make a space for you at the table, bring a folding chair. Have you heard this one? Right? If they didn't make a space for you at the table, bring a folding chair. And that reminds me, too, of Maxine Waters, right? In 2017, her, I'm reclaiming my time, reclaiming my time, over and over. Both of these statements, right, of I am going to push my way in and take space where it hasn't been granted to me, both of these women of color, black women speaking here, saying, I'm going to make the space. I will be heard. It's an assertion of one's own worth and dignity, an assertion that I will hold this space regardless of what you all say about it. It's made me remember back to those moments when we have to assert our own worth and humanity in the world, right? It brought me back to remembering the die-ins that the queer community held in the 1980s when AIDS was ravaging the gay community and the rest of the world was just actively resisting paying any attention or offering any help. I remember the unveiling of the AIDS quilt across the lawn in Washington, D.C. and in stadiums all over, saying each square, each person, whole, holy, worthy, valuable, and we're gonna take up this space, right? I think about the lunch counter sit-ins of the civil rights movement, or participating in the pride parades where being seen meant risking your job or a place at the table with your family forever. I remember stopping traffic on the highways as part of the movement for black lives. Each of these actions, a literal taking up of space, asserting worth and dignity, saying, even though this isn't being granted, we are going to take it speaking up for health care, for voting rights, for equal education, for a right to exist and be free from the terrorization and reality of violence. Taking up space can be an act of protest, that assertion of worth and dignity. And making space. Making space can be a powerful thing, too. When we are in conflict, when we are in disagreement, when we notice feelings of hurt, or feeling defensive, or feeling dismissed, or misunderstood, when those feelings come up in us, when we can make space for them, let them roll through us like the waves that they are, and find a way to curious, to curious about the other person's experience and existence. Take space, make space. There will be times for sure when it will be uncomfortable to be bound up together in this garment of destiny, times when our individual needs aren't primary, when the music is too loud or too much or too different, when the dishes that are being served at the table are unfamiliar or the people that are cooking them are new at it, times when we feel lonely or left out. There are times when we try to approach a table and we are not welcomed in. But I think most of us long for a sense of belonging, long for a place to be, even if it means making room, knocking knees and navigating lefties sitting next to righties at the tight table. We are longing for a moment 
not only for the comfort and security and necessity of those smaller communities, but of the larger community too. To know ourselves a part of something bigger than we could ever be alone, more beautiful, more powerful, more loving. Moments when we can look around this room or the world and know ourselves as one part of it, part of something that will go on long after we are gone. May it be so. Amen. I'm inviting us all into black belt spirituality, folks. <laughs> Let's bring our faith to life in our lives, in our world, in our relationships. And may we be at the big crowded table together. Amen. Thanks for listening to this podcast from First Universalist Church of Minneapolis. If you've been nourished by what you've heard, please consider supporting our ministry. Podcasts are free to download, but they cost money to make. Visit firstuniversalistchurch.org slash donate to make your gift. We are a faith community committed to dismantling oppression and building beloved community. To learn more about our ministry, please visit us online at firstuniversalistchurch.org dot o-r-g